You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. You should be able to find a seat now. Um, so I'll just give you a second to do that. Maybe as, uh, as you find your seats, just give you a quick overview. Uh, so this Sunday is going to be our last Sunday in Genesis until the fall. Next weekend, we're going to have a one-off sermon on Isaiah 55. So if you want to read ahead for that. And then we'll be entering into the summer series that we're going to be doing uh, on the fruits, fruit or fruits. <laughs> uh, there, are, there are different fruits. I guess is how you can say it, but ultimately it is the fruit of the Spirit uh, we're going to be looking at this summer as a church. And so uh, just to give you a little bit of an uh, overview of where we're going uh, this uh, summer, I, I'm really excited about that series on the fruit of the Spirit um, as we've been uh, kind of getting some preliminary, no, preliminary, <laughs> uh, that's great. Uh, some early work on, uh, on that. We, uh, it, it, I've just been really impacted by it. You know, if we, if, we, if we think about Christ and his life and where he went and what he did, like every time he came to a town, it was different because he had come there. And I think if you and I are living truly by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and not according to our flesh, the same would be said of us. Our workplaces would be different because we were there. Our neighborhoods would be different because we are there. Not because of us, but because of the amazing work that God's doing in and through us. And so uh, we're going to call this series Gospel Impact, uh, the working of the Spirit in and through us. And so really excited about that. And as well, I'm excited about this morning's text, uh, Genesis 20. I thought about calling this uh, sermon, She's My Sister, Part 2. Um, <laughs> But that didn't really seem to fly. Um, but, but, you know, what we see here really is, is kind of a dark last few chapters, right? Chapter 18, uh, God makes the promise and, and um, we find that Sarah doesn't believe that God's going to give them a kid. She laughs at the thought. She is lacking faith. And then Genesis 19 was, of course, this, the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah, and we, and we see the faithlessness of the people there, but also how Lot is kind of struggling in his faith. And this week we see yet another example of someone who's struggling in their faith, but again, Abraham and Sarah not doing great. And as we think about this chapter, I think what we're going to see is that we serve a really faithful God. We, see, we serve a God who is super gracious to us, and and as we look at uh, Genesis 20, we see in ourselves a lot of Abraham, uh, if we're being honest. And so I want us to be thinking about this morning a few things. Um, is, is there a limit to God's grace? I said, she's my sister part two. I mean, this is the second time he's going to lie, as far as we know, as, as far as it's recorded, uh, the second time he has lied about uh, Sarah being his sister in order to try to get away from trouble. What will happen this time? Is God going to bring about a different consequence as a result of this? Has, has Abraham messed everything up this time as a result of his sin? Maybe you feel that this morning. Is, have I done something now? Or is this, it's just irredeemable. There is no more possibility for grace for me. Uh, will God finally give up on his covenant with Abraham. Does God do that? Does he, does he say, hey, uh, you know what? I was with you in this covenant, but you know, no, no longer so. Is that the way God works? Is there ever a time where enough is enough for God? And what we're going to see is that God is just gracious, not, not giving us what we deserve, uh, but, but giving us so much more than we would ever deserve. And so I want you to think about your own life this morning. How do you believe that God looks at you when it comes to sin? Does what you think line up with what the scriptures say? 
And I want us to see, hopefully by the time we're done here this morning, that though we fall, though we sin against our God, He is powerful, He is patient, He is good, He is gracious, and He is faithful. And so I want us just to to set our, just give us a little bit of time in prayer this morning before we get into the Word. I want you just to take a moment, close your eyes now, just I want you just to think, Lord, where, where am I at with you? Lord, where's my relationship with you right now? Am I, am I striving in the ways that I ought to? Is, am, I, am I loving you the way I should? If someone was to follow me this last week, would they mark my life as being a faithful life or am I unfaithful? God, examine our hearts even now. Help us to see, Lord, if and where we are falling short. God, help us to be faithful followers. I, I thank you, Lord, for this text this morning that reminds us of who we, when we first think of Abraham, we think of him as a man of faith, not as a man of failure. And Lord, that's just a testimony of your grace and mercy in his life. And God, we would pray that by the time we get to the end of our lives, Lord, it would be the same, said of us the same, that Lord, we were men and women of faith. Lord, we put our trust in you. Lord, as we study this text this morning, we pray that you would cause us to repent where we need to repent. Lord, that you would cause us to cling to the truths which we need to cling to. And Lord, that we would be more like Christ as a result of our time together this morning. So, Lord, would you fill this speaker with your spirit today? Would you empower him to speak your word with clarity, Lord, that you might be brought honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, We want to be able to look at God's word together. Perhaps you forgot it on the way out this morning, or maybe you don't have a Bible. Just keep the Bible they're going to give to you if you don't have one. But Genesis 20 is what we're going to be studying this morning, and and we want to look down at God's word together. God's Word is our authority. We don't really care what Trevor Peacock, that's my name, by the way, for visiting. Uh, we don't really care what he has to say. You're like, who's this Trevor Peacock guy? Uh, okay, we, we're not, not so concerned about what his thoughts are. We are concerned, though, what the Word of God has to say to us as his people this morning. So let me read the text, and then we're going to study it together. Verse 1 of chapter 20. From there, Abraham journeyed through, toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of, his, of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, would you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, what have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. 
To Sarah, he said, behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence and all in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Uh, so this morning I've entitled the sermon, The Gracious Way. The gracious way is a path that is marked both by our depravity and his divinity. By our depravity and his divinity. First we see the stubbornness of our sin. The stubbornness of our sin. In verse 1 we see that uh, Abraham now is leaving the Oaks of Mamre. He's been there for quite some time uh, in this place. And, and, and for whatever reason, we're not told, he needs to move on. Maybe they're, they're, they'd used up the land for for grazing, and, and it need, they needed to move on from there. We're not told exactly why, but they head south and west, and then they kind of go back north again to this place called Gerar. And if you'll remember, like the last 24 years, Abraham's life has been one of sojourning. He's not settled anywhere. This, this place by the Oaks of Mamre would have been kind of the, la, the, the, the time, place that he had been mostly, but he's been moving around, and, and as he moves around, he's moving around in a world that isn't real safe, right? You think about Canada, we don't, we don't, we're not kind of continually looking around like, am I safe here? But there are places in the world where you really definitely want to be on guard as to what's going on. And the world in which Abraham lived was a violent world. It was a, a place of abuse and oppression. And so he, he, he's trying to protect himself, not in a wise way, but he's, he's trying to do it in his own thinking, through his own thinking, through his own flesh, and we're going to see that it doesn't turn out well for him. And so we read in verse 2 that Abraham said of his, Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Now, if you've been with us in our study, uh, this is not the first time, right? In Genesis 12, not long after God had called Abraham to be his servant. Uh, he had left the land that he had been in to go to the land that the Lord would show him. He, he, he showed great faith in that. But as he got to Egypt, he said the exact same thing there. And if you'll recall, the reason for this lie, uh, she is my sister, is that supposedly someone would come along then, you know, some other Joe, kind of on equal footing, he would come and said, hey, I would like to marry your sister. And Abraham would have the heads up and he would be able to then get out of there. That was his thinking. But as it was in Egypt, if you're the king, you don't ask for permission, you just take. And so Abimelech is the king. He's a Philistine. And he is in this area and he sees Sarah. Now, some of you might be like, uh, isn't she like 89 right now? What's going on? Okay. Well, she lives till she's like 127, so think of her as like she's in her 50s, okay? Abimelech, maybe an older guy as well, okay? And Abraham is kind of a king. He's like royal, right? So there's some, maybe some prestige in taking this guy's sister as well. So we're not told those kind of details. We're just told this is what happened, Okay. And, and so he tells the exact same lies he had before. Again, putting everything in jeopardy, just as he had done in Egypt. Like it'd be one thing if he'd never done this before, but he'd done it before and it had not turned out well, if you recall. When, when the Pharaoh found out, he was livid. He was so angry. He had given him all these gifts and, and then all of a sudden this plague comes on his house and he's like, what's going on? He finds out this is this guy's wife, not his sister. And, and he, he basically tells him, get out of here. I don't want you in my country. Get out of our country. I don't ever want to see you again. That's, that was the witness that Abraham had in Egypt. And now he's doing the exact same thing again. Some might be thinking, or sorry, so, so how is it that he does this all over again? Well, if we stop and think about our sin, there'll be some of you, like, there's a few things in my life that are still there that when were there when I first came to faith. Anybody relate to that? 
Like there's some sins in your life, you're like, surely five years from now, that's not going to be a part of my life anymore. 10 years from now, that's not going to be a part of my life anymore. 15 years, 20 years, and it's been 24 years since, since this all began, since he began to tell this lie. Later on, we find out like this is kind of their thing. Everywhere they go, they tell this lie, and, and 24 years later, he's still doing the same sin. And when we read about Abraham, I think we tend to kind of like to, you know, pull up the old throne. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and it's like sit on it in our judgment of Abraham. We're just like, man, that guy. <laughs> You know, I wish Abraham could be as godly as I am, you know. I, I would never do such a thing. But, but just as we did with Genesis 19, I think it's really important for us to sit, stop and say, is there some sins in my life that I still do that I, I really thought would be done by now? And, and, and here's the interesting thing, that, that for you, the thing that you wrestle with is different than what somebody else wrestles with. Like that, that sin that this seems like, when it says in Hebrews 12, that sin that, that, that clings so closely, there's certain ones you're just able to kind of like, yeah, flick off, okay, dealt with that, thank you, Lord. I don't really wrestle with that anymore, but there are some things that just this seems to cling to you. And Hughes puts it like this, there are certain old sins to which each of us are uniquely susceptible. Sin which clings so closely, we each have our unique uh, uh, unique, unique weaknesses, sins that may not appeal to others, maintain a deadly lure to us. And so unfortunately this morning, if we're being honest, we are in the place of Abraham, still doing things that we ought not to, and, and, and why does that happen? Well, every time we begin to rely on our own strength, anytime we go back to our flesh, and this is what I'm really excited about our summer series, talking about the flesh versus the spirit, but anytime we do that, we go back to that default position. And, and, and this is what's happened with Abraham. It's, he's not praying. He's not seeking the Lord in these things. He's just, I thought, I think, and then act. And so Abraham is wrestling with sin. And, and if we're, again, if we're being honest this morning, there are some stubborn sins that we are still dealing with. Now, this will be the last time we see Abraham deal with this. But it still has an impact. His son, who's yet to be born, guess what? He's going to do the exact same thing. And so let us let us see the stubbornness of sin. Let us see the horror of our sin. Let us not be apathetic about it. Uh, as we look at Abraham's life, this is causing great peril for him and Sarah that they're doing this all over again. And as was Genesis 12, unless God intervenes, the whole covenant is over. It's over. I mean, he just, if, again, Genesis 18, hey, you're going to have a son. We're going to have a son? Yes, you're going to have a son. It's coming soon. Not, no, just over a year from now, you, I'm going to come back. You're going to have a son. That's all at peril, right? How do you have a son when your wife is in the arms of another man? And so the whole thing, if it's not for God's power, if it's not for his sovereignty, then the whole thing goes off the rails. But God is gracious, and his plans are greater than our sins. Praise God for that. So the gracious way is a path that is marked both by our depravity and his divinity. Let's look at God's faithfulness despite Abraham's unfaithfulness. We see this in verses 3 to 7. The sovereignty of the Savior. The sovereignty of the Savior. So again, they're in their predicament. She's now with Abimelech. And again, as, as was the case with Pharaoh, it seems like there's this, this getting ready process of, of, of for him or for her to be uh, given over to Abimelech, and before she can be given over to Abimelech, God shows up in a dream this time. And again, note note the individual way that God deals with people. Right? He doesn't do the exact same Pharaoh thing. This time it's different with Abimelech. He comes to him in a dream. And we're gonna, as we continue our study of Genesis in the fall, we're going to see that he ha he has does this several times with unbelievers, where he shows up in a dream. So he comes in this dream, and, I, and I, I mean, this is like straight out of Hollywood kind of, kind of phrasing here. You are a dead man, right? 
You are a dead man. That's what he's saying. You're a dead man walking as a result of taking this man's wife. Like, that's a nice dream to have, right? He, he, he has no idea what's happening here, but he does, know, he does seem to know whose wife he's talking about. So we're not sure exactly the time frame as to when this dream happens, but he does know that this is Abraham's wife. Note as well, Abimelech understands that adultery is not okay. God doesn't have to explain to him, oh, by the way, when you take another man's wife, that's a problem. Okay? He already knows that. So then he says, he responds, now Abimelech had not approached her. In other words, hey, it had not been intimate yet. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Now, again, this is... This king, he doesn't know God. He doesn't know Yahweh, but he has a sense of God as to what God would be. He doesn't doubt that he has the ability to kill him, nor does he think that this God is a God who would just willy-nilly kill people, right? He, he believes that he is a, a God of justice, a God who would not kill someone who is innocent. And so now he defends himself. Did he not himself, Abraham, say to me, she is my sister? And guess what? What did Sarah say? She, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Listen, I didn't, it was not my fault. How was I supposed to know that, that they were married? They gave me zero indication of this, right? There's no children. There, there's no, there's no, Nothing, nothing that would have been like, oh, they, they kind of looked at each other funny. I mean, it's just like, right? He has no, no indication, but other than their words. And so he's saying, listen, I'm innocent. And, and note that he says, listen, in my heart, I did not intend evil, nor in my actions did I do any evil. He, he's, he's saying, I'm completely innocent. It wasn't even that, that he kind of thought one thing as a wickedness, but then did not do it. In the whole thing, he says, I'm innocent. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you have done this. God is all-knowing, in fact, right? I know this. And then he says this, I know that in the, in the, you did this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. This is such a fascinating verse, isn't it? Like God is God over every single person. Do we understand that this morning? Like I hope everyone hears this, this morning saying, he is my God. I worship him. I, I follow the King of kings and Lord of lords. I, I follow him. I'm a child of his through Jesus Christ our Lord. But, but I want us to understand this morning that God is the God over every single 8 billion plus person on this earth. And he ultimately is in control. And, and sometimes we need to be reminded of that, don't we? Christians, sometimes you feel like, oh, I, they're going to get us. You know, like we walk in fear just as Abraham's walking in fear here. And what we need to understand is we don't need to fear anyone. We need to fear the Lord God and him alone. He is powerful. He is the one who dictates what will happen. And he said, guess what, Abimelech? It wasn't because of you that you did not touch her. I stopped you. I'm the one who is responsible for you not, not doing, not sinning against who? Does anyone see that? Against who? Against me, he says. The Lord says, against me. Interesting. Same phraseology in Psalm 51 when David commits idolatry. He says in Psalm 51, 4, Against you, you only, Lord, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. And some of us may be like, well, you kind of sinned against Bathsheba. You kind of sinned against Uriah, who you had killed. So what is he saying here? Ultimately, at the top of the list, we sin. When we sin, we sin against God. And we will give an account to him someday. And so that's the beginning of it. And yes, we sin against one another, but at the, at the primary, we sin against God anytime we go against his commandments. 
And so the Lord is saying, listen, I, I am sovereign, and I'm watching over you, and I, I, allow, I did not allow you to touch Sarah. Now, God is powerful and sovereign. It's important for us to remember today. I mean, you spend any time on social media, you could get pretty depressed, right? Like, oh no, seems like it's all falling apart. What's going to happen? We miss the good old days of being Christians, right? Anybody feel that way? Is God in control or not? I just want us to stop and think, just think about that this morning. Is he in control or not? Let us not sin like Abraham did in trying to bring about God's ways. Let us keep our eyes on him and trust in him. So now he has some final instructions. Okay, you're right. I knew you did it under the innocence of your heart. I kept you from sinning. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. What? So his, his status didn't change because he blew it? Status didn't change. He's still a prophet of God, even though he sinned. Interesting. I want us to reflect on that in just a moment. So that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Not just you, Abimelech, will be taken out. I will take out your whole family. I'll take your servants out as well. If you do not do the right thing. This is the power of God. He can do whatever he says he will do. And so he warns him and he tells him. Now, how many of you would have a problem if you're in Abimelech's shoes? How many of you would be like, is there another prophet? I could go to. I mean, this guy did me wrong. He, I mean, I wouldn't be in this position if it wasn't for Abraham. But God's going to have his way. God says, he's my prophet, and I want you to have him pray for you. Abraham's foolish, sinful choice has not changed his position before God. He's God's chosen prophet. This is the first time the word prophet is used in the Old Testament. He is God's represented on this earth to be a blessing to the nations. And so he will be the one who will pray. I love what Ross says here. Only the patriarch's prayer saved the king's life and restored the well-being of his family. It was a way of teaching the king that Abraham's God was sovereign and that Abraham was God's chosen servant, even if he did not always live up to it. Even if he did not always live up to it. God is so powerful. He is once again showing that he can save us even when we make foolish decisions. And Abraham and Sarah had made a foolish decision here. And yet, he is the God over them. And he does not turn his back on his people. I want us to hear that this morning. If you're walking in sin, then here this morning, grace is available. Repent of that sin and turn once again back to him and find forgiveness. If you are a child of God, you are a child of God for eternity. Do you understand that? If you have been born again, then you are his child both now and forevermore. And his, his love will never be taken away from you. He will allow you to go through difficult times that you might turn to him, but he is, his love is set upon you. And this is even what he's doing with Abraham. He is, he's set his love upon him, but he's not going to allow Abraham to get away with a sin. If the plan would have worked, right? Every time they went to somewhere, yeah, yeah, she's my sister. What's God encouraging then? Lying's okay sometimes. It's a good thing. He's not allowing that to be the narrative here. What he's saying, hey, lying's not okay, but I'm greater than your sin. I'm more powerful than your sin. And this morning, I want to encourage all who are, your, who are children of God. Even when you are unfaithful, God is faithful. When you make sinful choices, he will have his way and bring you, bring you back to the place you ought to be. 
So the gracious way is a path that is marked both by our depravity and his divinity. And again, we now we see our depravity, the, sin, the sting of our sin. I want us to see this in verses 8 to 13, the sting of our sin. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, you think? Like after that dream, anybody sleeping? Right? Think I'll just sleep in tomorrow, right? You're like, okay, let's get going. Let's get going right now. Got up early in the morning, called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Why are they afraid? Because now we might die. This God has said he's going to, he's got a death sentence on Abimelech and all who are his if he does not do exactly what he tells him to do. And so they're all afraid. Now comes the confrontation. Verse, verse 9. Abimelech's got some questions. Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? Abraham, did, did I do something? Did my people do something to you that you thought it would be okay to do this to us? Okay, is this some kind of revenge thing that you're doing this to us? Now, sometimes people think, you know, you read the Old Testament and, and you kind of see, you look at the, the macro and you look at David's life and you look at Abraham's life and you're like, these guys sinned. They got away with it. It was no problem. Do you think that Abraham is, is feeling like he got away with his sin right now? A pagan king is acting more righteously than him. He is speaking the truth right now, Right? Abraham had lied. This guy's speaking the truth. What's Abraham got? Did they do anything to him? No, they did nothing to him. Why did he lie to him? He's got nothing. Can you imagine how he's feeling right now? How, we, how do we feel when our sin is exposed? Shame. Regret. If you're a child of God, that's how you feel. You're like, man, if I could just take back what I did. What, 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 a, what a dumb thing that I did? Why did I not trust God? Why did I not fear him and know that he would protect me? He just literally told me that we were going to have a child together. Maybe he had a plan for our protection that didn't include me lying, right? We, as believers, never get away with sin. I love what Romans 6 says, Romans 6, 20. It says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. A believer always looks back on, the, on, on sin with shame. They never celebrate it like, oh man, that was great when I sinned against my God. Like that, you never feel that way. And so believer, I want to encourage you to see the horrors of sin again, not just the stubbornness of it, but the sting of it. When it gets unveiled to everyone around you, what you have done. It's not a place you want to be. You want to, you want to be quick to repent of your sin and to walk in his ways, not live in your sin. Abimelech continues his truth brigade here. You have done to me things that ought not to be done. Is that true? That is true. We should never lie to anyone. And this prophet of God has lied to him. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? We might say something like this. What were you thinking? What were you thinking? Why did you do it? Help me understand why you put my life in jeopardy. And the, and the lives of all those who are with me in jeopardy. Now, what's he going to do? He's got to come clean, right? He's got to come clean. Now, as a man of God, he's going to come clean. He's not going to lie to compound the lies. That's not going to help, help him any, right? Uh... He's just going to tell the truth. And, and as we go through these verses, it's not great, right? It's not great. Like, you can almost, like, it would be hard to get these words out. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
Do any of you like, like kind of retracing your sin and, and confessing it? Like, you know, does it bring joy to your life as you're having to say these things? It doesn't, does it? it, it like, it's almost like a physical hurt, you know, as you're thinking about it. But, but it's, a, it's what we need, right? We need to be humi- humiliated in a sense. We need to be humbled in our sin. And this is exactly what's happening to Abraham. And God will use this. This is the same guy that, that about 13 years from now, he's going to sacrifice his son, believing that God can raise people from the dead. That, that's, so he's on the journey. Praise God. You and I are on the journey. But we ought not to stay where we're at. And praise God, he doesn't do this for Abraham, but now it's time to tell what he had done. So Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. You know, I just assumed you guys were all dirtbags and you just kill me. I mean, that's really what he's saying. I thought very little of any of you. I thought the idea of adultery to you would be like, like whatever. We'll just kill the husband. That's how we'll deal with it. That's what I thought. I just assumed the worst of you. Now, the irony here is that Abimelech is the one who's shown fear of God in this situation. Not, not Abraham. Abraham has not shown any fear of God. He's shown himself fear of man is what he's shown. But Abimelech actually is the one who's showing the fear of God. Note that he says, I thought. The whole idea came from himself. It didn't come from God's promises. It did not come from time and prayer. It just came from him living his life out in his own flesh. Now, it seems like he's trying to hold on a little bit of shred of dignity here in this next verse. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father. No, not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. Listen, it's not a full lie. It's just a half lie. Just a half lie. She actually technically is my sister. Huh. Do do you think this made Abimelech feel better? Oh, well, by all means then. It's no problem that I have a death sentence over me because it's only a half a lie. Right? He's not feeling this, right? Now he reveals, and this is what I love about Abraham here, this isn't just a one-time lie. He doesn't have to say this next part, but he does. He's coming clean. Verse 13, and when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, again, this is 24 years later. I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come. Save me. He is my brother. Sarah, I I don't know what it's going to be like as we leave this place. It's It's a messed up world out there. So here's the kindness I want you to do to me. Everywhere we go, you must say, he is my brother. This is 24 years from running that this has been the case. Even though this sin failed miserably in Egypt, apparently they just keep doing it. But again, it's come at a cost. I love what Hughes says here. Father Abraham was less of a saint than we might have concluded from the preceding chapters. And here he had little or no witness with Abimelech and his people, who were, after all, a microcosm of the nations that were to be blessed through Abraham. This was a very low time indeed, and it was all Abraham's fault. I mean, how do you witness in this situation, right? How, how do you witness in this situation? He, he, he is totally wrong. He has sinned. God is great. Uh, Abimelech can see that, but he's probably a little confused as to how why one of his followers doesn't fear this God and walk in his ways. There's like this kind of like, what's going on here? There, there, there's this. He is a great God, but this follower of his is not representing that. Abraham has just confessed that he trusted his lies to protect him more than God, the God who he followed. He he had let the emotion of fear dictate what he would do rather than trust the promises of God. 
The, sin of, the scene of humiliation for Abraham reminds us that there is no getting away with sin. When we sin, it reveals our lack of faith and it hurts our witness. I guarantee Abraham was not thinking about how he had gotten away with his sin. I love how Worsby, when he preached this, he highlighted that Abraham's sin had cost him his character, it had cost him his testimony, and he had lost his ministry. Rather than bringing blessing to this land, he had brought cursings through his sin. And Walkie says this, the disclosure of Abraham's failures also confirms God's sovereignty and power. He is gracious in election and capable of working out his good purposes through his human servants. And so he does not, I want us to feel the weight of what Abraham's feeling right now, the, the, the despair, the humiliation, yet God does not leave Abraham here, which brings us to our last point, the sweetness of the Savior. The sweetness of the Savior. The definition of grace is that we, we receive that which we do not deserve. That's grace, receiving that which we do not deserve. And we see grace highlighted in these concluding verses. Abraham and Sarah will receive that which they do not deserve. Abimelech, he gives back to Abraham, Sarah, his wife, which God had commanded him to do. But he goes beyond that. He also gives him sheep and oxen and male and female servants. Not only that, but he offers him a, a place to live. He said, hey, my land is your land. You can stay here. He doesn't do like Pharaoh did in saying, get out of here. I never want to see you again. He instead says, hey, you can stay here. He is receiving grace. He, he's acting as if he actually, he actually sinned against Abraham, isn't he? Like, that's, that's the kind of grace that he's giving to him here. Abimelech, although innocent of wrongdoing, compensates Abraham as if he had owed him something. He blessed him instead of cursing him. And this is what grace does. Here we see a glimpse of the gospel. Every one of us in this room have sinned against a holy God. Maybe you're visiting a church for the first time. You're like, well, you don't know me. I don't need to know you to know that you have sin in your life. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What we deserve are curses. Just as Abimelech should have just cursed Abraham, instead he gives him blessing. And so it is with our God. Jesus came and died the death he did not deserve. You know, the... Abraham's receiving all these things freely, but it cost Abimelech. We receive eternal life freely, but it cost our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, his life. He went to the cross in our place. And while he's on the cross, he takes my sin, he takes your sin, and he places it upon himself. And then the wrath of God is poured out upon Christ so that every one of your sins is paid for. The sins that you've done, the sins that you're doing, the sins that you will do, all paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. One sacrifice, once and for all. And he, then he comes and he says to you, if you would confess your sins, just as Abraham has done here, if you would confess that you have sinned and you would repent of that sin and place your trust in me, I will freely give you eternal life. I will give you that which you do not deserve, grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And I pray everyone here this morning can say amen to that. I've received that grace. I know what I deserve. My sins condemn me. Even now, I feel the weight of my sin, yet I know my Savior has carried that weight. He has paid the cost in my place. And though I do not deserve it, one day I will be in his presence. And I will live with him for all of eternity because of what he has done for me. This is our hope. And we see this on display, this picture here in a, in a small way of God's, uh, God's grace towards Abraham and Sarah. Getting that which they do not deserve from this pagan king, Abimelech. Interesting. 
little bit of tongue-in-cheek here. He addresses Sarah now, verse 16. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Right? Your brother. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone who you are vindicated. um, There was one commentator said, "Do, Do we understand how big of a gift this is? The average worker to earn this much money would take 167 years of work to get a thousand pieces of silver. 160, that wasn't months, that wasn't days, that was 167 years. This is a lavish gift to them. And why is it being given? So that the whole land would know. Sarah's purity has been kept. She is innocent of any wrongdoing when it comes to adultery. She still lied, but when it comes to what the land would have thought, she is innocent of those things. Now it's time for Abraham to do the righteous thing. Verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves, so they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. The Lord graciously still uses Abraham to do his work. What a a sweet Savior we have, that he would still use sinners like you and I to represent him on this earth. He doesn't have to do it this way, but he chooses to do it this way. He wants us to grow in our love and knowledge of him. He wants us to to see him at work in this world to cause our faith to grow. And so Abraham prays on behalf of this sinner. And so you and I, too, who are sinners, cry out to God on behalf of the lost. We cry to God that he might be gracious and rescue them from the death sentence that they're over Uh, over them. We do that. We, We pray, even though we too are sinners who needed a Savior, God uses us to cry out to Him on their behalf. Clearly, God gets all the glory in this, does He not? He is the one who saved Abraham and Sarah. He is the one who has revealed Himself to Abimelech. He is the one who has sown grace to undeserving sinners like you and I. To him be the glory in Abraham's life and in our lives as well. I was just thinking about this. We're not going to get to chapter 21 until September, so let me just say it now. Isn't it interesting? All these women, their wombs had been closed, right? During this time, God had closed the wombs, and then he is able to open them. I wonder if this was the last thing that finally strengthened Abraham and Sarah's faith to know that when God says he's going to do something, he will do it. For chapter 21, the next thing we're going to read is that Isaac is born. About a year later. God is faithful to his promises. Is he not? I'm so thankful that this isn't the end of story for Abraham and Sarah. We're going to see some great acts of faith in the life of Abraham next fall as we get into this series uh, again. But um, I want to just encourage us this morning about the gracious way. Sometimes our sins can weigh us down. And we ought to feel the weight of our sin. We ought to see the stubbornness of sin. We ought to see the sting of sin so that we would want nothing to do with it. But, but I pray that we would do what it says in Hebrews 12, that we would, we would set the sin aside that weighs us down, that we would set the sin that clings so closely, that we would set aside and we would fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is what we are called to do day in and day out. Are you ready for that this coming week? Are you ready to say, I'm done with those sins? I want to walk in faithfulness to the King. I want, to, I want to rejoice in his salvation day in and day out. God's power and sovereignty 
are clearly seen in this chapter. His abundance, grace, is evidence as we see the stubbornness of our sin and sting of sin on full display. Salvation belongs to our God. I pray that that brings joy to your heart this morning. Salvation belongs to our God. He is faithful. He who began the good work in you will complete it. Our sin is great. His grace is greater. Amen? Let me pray. God, we thank you for your grace, for your mercy towards us. Thank you, Lord, that though we see ourselves in Abraham, Lord, we are still your children. On this Father's Day, Lord, that just uh, something that's really special for each of our hearts to be remembering, God, that you are our Heavenly Father. Lord, we can never outsin your grace. God, this morning I'm thinking about those who, Lord, are walking in rebellion. They, they have yet to bow the knee right now. They, they, they would say, I, I'm not ready. But God, I pray right now, God, just cause them Cause them to repent, God. You can do it. Lord, we ask. Help them open their eyes to see your love, your faithfulness, your goodness. Even though they've shook their fists against you, even though they've walked in rebellion against you, just as when the prodigal son came to the father and you ran to them, Lord, you would run to them even now. Lord, you would forgive them. You would shower them with your grace and your mercy and you would bestow upon them riches which they do not deserve. This is our God. This is our Father. And Lord, we rejoice in you this morning. Lord, for those of us who are your children, Lord, we pray, Lord, would you help us to represent you well in this week to come? Lord, would you help us to, to not have many moments like these, God, where we have to, to in shame recount our sin before others? God, we pray that those moments would become less and less, Lord, as we look to you, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, we desire that lost people would be saved. And God, just as Abraham, the prophet, cried out on behalf of Abimelech, we cry out on behalf of the sinners of our cities. God, would you be merciful to them? Would you be gracious to them? God, would you use us to be salt and light for your namesake in this week to come? Lord, thank you that it's your good desire to do so, to use us. Lord, help us to be willing. Help us to be excited, Lord, to be used of you. Lord, help us to have that heart that would say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. For the glory of your name we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.